0: We might be looking at a slate of Jimmy.
1: Well, let's uh, save it for the discussion.
2: Yeah. Woo. Mm-hmm. Oh. Third Degree. The Third Degree Podcast.
0: Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer90.com. Shop Soccer90.com for all your soccer gear. FC Dallas, North Texas Soccer Club, U.S. Men's National Team. Man, they got everything. Jersey, scarves, tees, soccer 90s, what you need. Check out all the latest arrivals and gear at Soccer90.com. Use code THIRDDEGREE at checkout, 3-R-D-E-G-R-E-E, at checkout. 20% off your order. Some exclusions apply.
1: Well, hello there FC Dallas curious fan. Welcome to episode number 212 202 of Third Degree the podcast. Hi, it is me, Peter, hanging out first with the bearded one, Dan Crook. Howdy, Dan.
2: Hey, uh 212 isn't it 202? Just just What did us. I say? You said 212 202. Two. Oh, 212. Ah, that's why. That's
1: why I'm an idiot. It's late. And I ran into a big wall today, and I'm a little loopy still.
2: So. And you knocked me the fuck over. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you shouldn't have gotten in my way. Uh, so, yes, I'm sorry. It is episode 212. Uh, and thank you for helping me re- rewire my brain correctly. And, of course, your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, the good Buzz Carrick. Come in buzzard.
0: Peter, how are you? Hopefully both of y'all enjoyed the media game today.
1: It was a good treat. It was fun. Uh, as as it is always to be able to go out there and play a little footy on that pool table of a field. It's amazing.
0: That's lovely. Alan and his team do a great job on that field. They do. Every time I go on it, I'm stunned by how massively big it is. (laughs) I I know fields I played on when I was a kid weren't quite that big. (laughs) They were probably close, but it sure seems like they're a lot bigger now than they were when I was young.
1: It's intimidatingly huge. Oh, I man, completely yeah. agree with you on that. Yeah. Yes, uh, for sure. And uh, breaking news Oscar Preya's cousin is really good at soccer. He's Shocker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <Nacho's quality. laughs> He's good
0: enough that uh, they use him in drills when they need a body. They'll stick him in, you know, because most of the, not, you know, because, or Lucene too, but past Lucene, they'll grab him. You know, Lucci used to jump in girls all the time, but. Um, yeah. Uh, Nico doesn't.
1: And just to set the table for anybody uh, looking at their podcast player, going, what are they talking about? Uh, the, uh, the club had a game today, a media game today. It was kind of a mix of media and club staff. And it was, they, they used to do it pretty regularly. This is the first one they've done since 2018. It was a lot of fun. And I very much appreciate the, uh, the invite. It's always fun to go play on, on that field obviously, for all the obvious reasons. All right, let's get into what we are here to do. It was the worst kind of sucker punch you could totally get. Dallas playing very well, owning a 1-0 lead against their nemesis in the Texas Derby. Houston and the Dynamo get the very late sucker punch and tie the game 1-1, and that is the sourest sister kissing uh, you could ha- result you could possibly have, Buzz.
0: Yeah, it's a weird feeling because, um, you know, as the, as the coach pointed, everybody else pointed out, they got seven points out of nine on the week, which is a good week, but it was a bad finish um, because even though Dallas, I thought, in terms of not possession on the ball, but in terms of game control, which is something this particular coach is big on, they really did a good job, I think, controlling that game. However, uh, <laughs> a few too many corners given up late, and Houston is actually pretty decent at corners, uh, and they got one. Um, corners are always chaos anyway, cause you can not not play very well and you get a couple of corners you can win a game. And that's what happened, you know, in this particular case was the uh not a fluky corner or actually a pretty decent one head on to the back post. But um unfortunate for the good
1: I thought the Dynamo did a really good job of clearing that space. I mean, it was clearly, at least in the couple of times I watched it, it looked like it was a thought out kind of strategy of pulling players out of the way and letting the giant Icelander uh, get yeah, his, uh, get Thor. in a uh, get in a good uh, place. And he did a really good job with it. So I actually noticed
0: them. what I thought was a series of corner plays that they had set up all game. They rarely sort of just lumped it in. They almost always had like some kind of thing to try. Um, some of them were better than others, but you know, not many short corners from them, which is something I really believe in. Is not the short corner, just because you know, when, when the ball is close to the net, chaos can happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, like the way Dal scored, it wasn't a good corner kick, but um, it was a good lumped in ball into the box, and a of all people got free and headed the ball down and towards goal, and that's why you head it down towards goal. It's because things happen.
2: Yep. And well. well on the posts importantly yeah
0: yeah yes that's important <laughs> yes yeah
1: so lots to talk about in this game but i think we do for all the derision and writing and criticism we've had of the guy over the years since his time here i i, I do want to take a minute to continue to express my amazement at the uh i don't know where uh nico found the switch but he's flipped some sort of weird switch in Hot Air Obreon. You named him man of the match. This is now, what, the third game in a row where he's looked like a player transformed, and the only and the best example I can make of this is it kind of has that Michael Barrios on this verge of being sold, and then, you know, Perea flipped his switch, and he was a great player for the club for a long time. It kind of feels like that, Buzz.
0: Yeah, if, if he would play at this level, and it, it might even be two or three weeks you know, including back when I talked about how he was doing really well in training. Um, you know, the, the 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 value you pay for him, the money you pay for him is actually relatively uh, good value if he plays like this. It's the first two-thirds of the season to this point that were not great. But, you know, he is uh, vivacious. He is a decent locker room guy. He does – everybody kind of likes him, you know. But this game, he was phenomenal. He had six shot-creating actions, which is twice anybody the next best guy on the team. He was two for two on take-ons. He had – Four progressive pe- passes of all people to have progressive passes. That guy, <laughs> that's the second best on the team. He had three key passes, which is incredible, and he drew six fouls. They obviously didn't know what to do with him. And overall, his passing as a wing was 77%. It's amazing. So, it, listen, it's not just that he's getting into the box, it's the connectivity, right? That 77% passing means he's integrated into the play. So much of this year, we talked about how he was on his own out there running around. Whatever has changed for whatever reason, if it's the system or maybe it's just in being in that slightly higher position, perhaps or something, whatever it is, the guy is now linked into the team and it's making all the difference for him. It's incredible.
1: Yeah. Dan, I can't believe I'm about to say this. Uh, but part of me actually feels like when Paul Areola is healthy and ready to go, I'm not sure I want him to go ahead and automatically
2: start. I want to ride this Obreon train as long as it goes. Uh, I'm right now with you. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, Paul Paul's obviously not had a bit of a tough season. He's had a few injuries now, uh, so we'll see when he when he does eventually get back. But yeah, I had a. Uh, it, it seems like it, mentally he's just turned something on, almost like matured right before our eyes. Um, talking to uh, coach and some. How of the old players, is how How old is 28, Twenty-eight, twenty-nine. Okay. Yeah, he's not. He's not young, but I mean. Um, you know for a for a player to go kind of go through through that at that age is, is' pretty special um you know guys were just talking about you know here he's here he's one of those one hundred percent trainers and that he you know no matter what his place in the team is that he's putting the same work in and um you know couldn't really be drawn out to say actually, yeah, we asked him to do this, and suddenly he's reacting really well, everyone just kind of wanted to to praise his presence whether he's on the bench or on the field
0: by the way he turned 28 a week ago
2: wow
1: well, it's just weird because uh, he's been such a frustrating player to watch in his time here. Is it was this his third season? Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. Yep. So he's just been so endlessly frustrating. It's uh, it's a real pleasure to see him actually connect and be a part of the team, and uh, and and really a real credit to him. It's coming at a really critical time, considering both Leggett and uh, Ariola are injured. So. Uh, it's pretty critical that he stepped up and, and did his thing. And that was uh, really good. So Buzz, overall, let's talk about the game in, in a more, you know, you're the Buzz way and talk <laughs> about some of the tactics and the lineup and and things, other things that you noticed in the performance.
0: Yeah. Well, the, the basic lineup these days, um, when, when seeking uh, assembling plays, they, they've been putting him in more as a 10 like player again, the, we talk about this all the time. There's, you still want a lot of defensive effort out of that guy. It's not like a ten of old, but it means that Paxton, when he plays, like he did in this game, is deeper in a double pivot kind of situation. Um, and then there was a change I, I thought I was noticing over the last couple of games um, about when they were pressing. Uh, and depending on the team, they still want to do high pressing. Now, most people think that this team presses a lot, and they don't. they don't. They're not a volume press team, but they're really good about timing what they do and against Houston. And I actually, this was my question on the media call today was about why they were doing what they did against Houston, which was they sort of sat back off the uh, fullbacks and the center backs. They stood, they still did allow a press from time to time, but what they were trying to do was block passes into the central part of midfield. That was mostly effective. And they really tried to ramp it up in the second half in particular. Now um, Hector Herrera still had a large number of touches, And he had a fair number of passes into the box, but I went and looked and most of them were on corners and set plays. His Mm -hmm. actual like on the ground connected passes into the box was only two. So that's a really good job on a guy that had 71 touches and is the fulcrum of their team. And then Coco Karasquia who only had like 27 touches on the game. He spent most of the game. He's a really good player. If you've never watched him, he spent a lot of the game running out to the side of the midfield trying to find the ball because they couldn't get it to him. And to hold him to even that small of touches is a really good performance. So uh, what I called it uh, in my breakdown was a second line press because what they were doing in their mid block is they were setting up right in front of midfield with their two lines and trying to deny those passes. And the minute the ball came out from the back to that middle line, they would press down and try and not let those guys turn. And and if you get a turnover in that part of the field, then – if you're Dallas and you're a team that likes to rapidly transition back the other way, you're in great position to make like a 20 yard run and you're in the box. So it was particularly effective against Houston in terms of a stopping the way Houston wants to play, even though Houston had a decent amount of the ball uh, and B putting themselves in good chances. They had good opportunities in terms of this team, in terms of volume coach lamented lament that maybe they didn't quite convert them as a, at a rate he would have liked, and they feels like they left a little bit on the floor in terms of, offense in terms of getting the shots on the goal other than Jesus, of course, is really good at that. So uh, it's sort of an interesting change to watch them do that and, and not have their press be at quiet high in this game and make it more about the denial of the midfield, which they did a pretty good job on because that's Houston's best part of their team is that midfield.
1: Uh, one of the things I was uh, happy about with Houston being in town is that fans got to see Hector Herrera, who I'm, you know, I'm a I I love to hate kind of guy, um, because man, that is a real good demonstration of a world class midfielder. That guy's got some silky, uh, amazing moves. There was that one move where he just pushed the ball past Paxton. And it's very rare you see a player do that against Call. and he did it with the the greatest of ease. It was uh, I, I enjoyed watching him play, as oh, much as I hate to say that.
0: What's funny is how particularly garbage he was last year too. At the end yeah. of last season, you know, not wanting to get hurt before the World Cup, I guess, or maybe he was trying to get his coach fired for whatever reason. Last year he was utter trash, and this year he's a really good player. I don't know if he's worth five million, but he's really good. But the funny part, you know, you're right about people liking to dislike that guy. I remember when they announced Hector Herrera. My wife was like, "Hector Herrera, I hate that guy." <laughs> and, and the most American fan—that's that guy from Mexico, right? I was like, "Yeah, I hate that guy." Yeah. You know, people do like dislike him, but you know, I, I don't think it's like a personal thing. It's just the nature of the rivalry, and he—he's such a combative. Player, great to have on your team, and you hate playing against him.
1: Dan, you know what I'm talking about. There's just every once in a while you see a player and his body language on the ball and how he plays with the ball, and it's just another level. And it's it's almost something you identify super quick. And I just I think he has all of that those attributes to his game.
2: For sure. I mean, he's been the place he's been for a reason. Right? Yeah,
1: yeah. That's what a that's what a, an Atletico Madrid player looks like right there. <clears throat> so. All right, well, I guess I have uh, gone a long way at pissing everybody off at
2: saying nice <laughs> things about a Dynamo player named Hector Herrera. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you, if you kind of national. make them sound better, then the draw sounds a little better. Say that again? If if you make them sound better, then it kind of makes the draw sound a little better. <laughs> yeah, no, it was absolute. I mean, it's, it's funny because we've had such a weird
1: run of results with this team because we've had games where they've won a game and we're like, man, they did not play well and got lucky. And then they've had losses, you know, I guess they've had a loss where they've, you know, got bullied about a little bit. And that to have a game where they actually feel like they played really well and end up getting sucker punched at the end on a team that didn't even create like .05XG or whatever it was uh, kind of hurts. And so, especially because it's Houston, right?
2: Especially because it's Houston. Especially. Yeah. I mean, it didn't help, you know, they dropped in, they, they kind of dropped lower and lower. I know Buzz is going to talk more about formation, but just. The trigger point of when they they started to put themselves on the back foot was uh a little bit too early you know 20 minutes out suddenly it's okay yeah we'll, we'll just try and defend the lead instead of uh pushing on
0: didn't
2: all right buzz you want to get into that the whole substituting players out in
0: yeah, the 53rd well, minute thing? Right. Well, there's there's two problems I'm sorry, 70th minute thing. Yeah. The, the, there's two problems that display, and I'll talk about both of them. The first one um, is you guys have heard me complain about how stupid the five subs rule is and how much I hate it. Well, the thing is, is it, it is the rule. So use it. Use all five subs. Don't just sub three guys. Houston went in all in five, and they got fresh legs, and one of the fresh guys is the guy that scored. So you have dudes on the bench. You know, it's not all guys he doesn't trust. There's some guys over there you trust. Go ahead and bring them in. You know, use them because you can. Sometimes in this day and age, I think you no longer want to sit on those subs because they make such a difference to change the game completely when you have half your team has been changed, right? I mean, mm-hmm. why not? Okay. I hate it, but it is what it is. So the second question is, was the right tackle decision made? And and the, the one that changed the game the most was the, the – last one on the 83rd minute which was sam jonka coming on for velasco now that's an interesting stuff for two reasons one is it takes off the best free kicker you've had in a long time i i, I said the other day since christ but you have to sh- throw michelle in there too so you know he's a guy who can a relieve pressure when he's playing smartly by holding the ball or dribbling the ball and b if you do get a free kick you can take advantage of it so i'm not sure necessarily he was the right player to come off, but I do understand that he has, he was injured lately. So maybe they're not ready for him to go full 90. So, okay. The, the thing about Junko coming in that spot is it's a defensive shift and you're going five at the back. You have the five, four, one, basically. I'm not averse to that when you're, you know, getting close to under 10 minutes left, not including injury time. I don't, I don't hate that. I'm not, I'm not mad about the shift per se, what does annoy me about this team when they do shift. And this is something I'm going to bring back from the Newcastle game. And Peter, I think I've messaged you guys in the group or maybe it was in the discord about how, what a waste of time that Newcastle game was against. Um, oh, who the heck was that? Just like two days ago when they had 85% possession or Lester. Yeah. Lester and Lester had 11 guys in the box the whole game. It was awful. There was no soccer being played at all. It was just stupid, but I was watching the Leicester game and I had a thought, Leicester play, and I had a thought from it that I wanted to bring to FC Dallas. And the difference between their success in keeping Newcastle out for 90 minutes in a low block that was way worse than anything Dallas ever does and this 4 5 1 at the end of the game was that something that I've talked about before, which is that the difference between being a passive block and an active block. So when I was watching Leicester, every time anybody from Newcastle held the ball, Leicester was coming hard, throwing bodies, charging getting out closing down fast well when dallas does it when they shift not all the time i'm talking about after they shift into this defensive block this defensive 5-4 four, or 4-5 four, depending on what what game it is a sort of passive mentality comes over them and they all just kind of stand there in the block they stop closing down shooters and they stop closing down crossers and so you're getting these long-range shots or you're getting these crosses into the box you know in this particular case you got a corner for it so the problem here in my mind is not the actual change of shape or the personality that you chose. It's that for some reason, this team deactivates their brain and goes into a static kind of mode. So we've, I've talked about this all season. You can defend actively those two things are independent thoughts you can be play defensively and still be at playing actively and that's the thing that will dropped off and that's why they lost in my opinion that's why they lost the not lost gave up the goal was because of this failure to play in a progressive manner even though you're defending if that makes sense hopefully makes sense no it does buzz i mean dan got any thoughts to that just
2: Really, really, like said before, just um, you know, any any kind of shift they wanted to make just felt premature. Felt like it was just asking for trouble. Uh, Houston were really, I thought Houston were very smart with their subs. Reacted immediately to the goal with that, uh, with that triple change. Just kind of, uh, it wasn't throwing on for the sake of throwing on by any stretch of the imagination.
1: Uh, well, I, I also think, Buzz, this is a byproduct of the roster. And it, it is yeah. interesting that Nico makes the subs that he makes. Um, and we're not seeing a lot of the, you know, we're not seeing some of the, the de- well, there probably isn't a lot of depth, uh, to be fair. And maybe he recognizes that uh, more closely and accurately than we can because we don't see it on a, on a date of day basis like he does.
0: Well, at the time of the Last sub, when he only brought in one guy, you still had on the bench Jose Martinez, who's mm. supposed to be your guy, right? Right. Why is he not coming in? You know, if you don't want to change shapes, why not bring Camungo on for Velasco? We've seen Camungo work his tail off. We know that guy can press a little bit. You know, I know there are guys over there you're not ready to bring in, like Norris, you know, Endelay. I, I sort of understand that. But you you used of the other day, so maybe you're not totally averse to using him. I'm just thinking that, like, you know, when you're talking about the 83rd minute of a game and you're going to shift formations, you know, and the other team's becoming more and more active, or even if you don't want to shift formations, sometimes just being fresh and bringing on guys with some energy, you know, it's when Siki would come on if Siki wasn't starting right now, right? So you can use other guys in those roles, you know. Uh, Given Martinez, 10 minutes would not be a big deal, you know. Given give Kamungo 10 minutes and say, you better run your tail off and press the ball for 10 straight minutes. Do not let anybody get comfortable. You know, he could have done that easily and that would have helped, I think, keep them on a progressive mindset. You know, I'm not sure if taking out Velasco doesn't say to your team, oh, we're not going to dribble out anymore. We're just going to stand here. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So uh, maybe I'm overhyping that. I just, you know, I just, I get tired of watching people not step out and close down crosses and shooters in these late game situations you know, uh, that's to me, that's a bigger deal than just where you're standing and what formation it is. Well, I also think it's,
1: uh, you know, it's the, it's the long-standing concern about this team's inability to create a lot of chances and not finishing their opportunities for all the praise for Obreon's performance. He still missed. Uh, I felt, look, there, there was a moment in early in the game where he hit that ball that one timer and hit the crossbar. That was this game, wasn't it? It was the Houston game when he hit the crossbar, wasn't it?
2: Uh, Vancouver and Houston, yeah,
1: yeah. And I was crushed for him because he was in the right spot, and I felt bad. But he also missed another opportunity, I think, later in the game that you wish he had done better with. And 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 Velasco, we all love the kid, but he's not producing a ton right now. He's coming off of injury, and you know, I yeah. think he's still trying to get back in in form and everything, and. So, uh, look, they played very well considering the guys they had out on the field. I think, to your point, Buzz, they kind of switched off like they have on occasion um, at the end of the game, and Houston took advantage of it with all the subs, and that giant Icelandic guy who, yeah, yeah, who did a really nice, by the way, that's a draft pick, you know? So uh, that's a, that's a, that's a good finish. And I got to say, it's really, really weird seeing Ben Olsen on the sideline for Houston. I just, that I really was distracted by that all night on television.
0: That one of their real dilemmas. And if you read their, you know, follow their team at all, you'll see that they have this dilemma where they're overpaying, um, Sebas Ferreira, who's a relatively static center channel nine. And they're, they, they have this dilemma because Thor is a draft pick getting paid Jack's squad and he's super active and mobile, you know, and which one of those might better fit their team is a big talking point. And they they seem to play better with Thor in there. So um, they got some – They everyone has problems in this league. But, you know, in the end, in the end of the day, look, up to this point in the season, Dallas has a uh, – you know, I'm not a big fan of the XG necessarily, but they have a non-penalty XG under one. So – on average, their 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 play says they should have just under one goal a game. Point being is that if you all the time are giving up a goal, which is by the way is a pretty good rate because they don't give up two, three, four is the thing. You know they keeping their average really low. You know if you don't get that second goal, if you don't put that game away, in the end that's what kills you. And there were some there's multiple chances they had to put that game away and they didn't do it. And we talked about that when North Texas did the exact same thing they should have been up four or five and didn't against Houston. And this is the same thing with this team. This game should have been two or three and over. And that's maybe that's why you, your mind flips off at the end of the game. It's like, man, we should have won this thing by go running away. Why is it even close? You know, and that's part of the question.
1: Well, uh, and I'm sorry if you said this, uh, that also was only the second point they've gotten all season on the road. Houston.
0: Yeah. They're not a great road team. That was a big boost for them mentally, but oh, sure. Yeah. But you're right. You know, as good as O'Brien's playing, you know, we knew the Velasco, not Velasco, the Ariolas had a really tough year. jet's having a really tough year. We like what energy Seeky brings, but he's not necessarily going to get you a large number of stats out of that same position Legette plays. He's not doing it either. You know, and Velasco, as you say, is a little up and down right now because of the injury or whatever. But, you know, if it weren't for Jesus carrying this team, this thing would be in really horrible shape. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Uh, and unfortunately, that whole conversation about Paxton came up again on the on the mm. uh, national level when Joe Lowry wrote a oh, paragraph yeah. about that. Oh, poor Dan doesn't he? Want, do you do you not know, even want to talk about this?
2: It's just it, no, no. I just yeah, it was uh, one of those things you see and you just like oh. Oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> well, yeah.
0: The, the the problem is that he mentioned that Paxton's mobility has been limited by his injury. And I'm like, man, you're not watching Paxton play then because yeah. Paxton's mobility is not limited. No. Paxton, you know, there was a time two years ago when he came out of the surgery that his mobility was a little limited, but not now. He's back to his old self, his box-to-box work rate is phenomenal, his energy is phenomenal.
1: Yeah, you know? and and I think a lot of what he's describing in the written word is him watching highlight clips and looking at stats and what I what I, you know I tried to stick up for Paxton on Twitter and, and just said hey look you, you gotta watch the guy weekend you gotta see the games all of it to really understand why he's not a six and why there is so much more to his game than yeah. he and Matt Doyle uh, give him credit for because they don't watch him play as much as we do and if there is a reduction in stats this season from last season that has more to do with the team in general than anything going on specifically with Paxton in my opinion
0: well some of that is little adjustment because he's not the free eight anymore that's now legit you know the very end of last season legit took over that role and paxton became a deeper player that's why they traded brandon sylvania mm-hmm. you know so th- this is a reason why i wanted to bring up the topic of not as paxton as a six but the idea that this four two three one might be the way forward it's no secret that uh, coaches said this too and we said it all the time that they're not getting enough statistically speaking out of legit or paxton either one as the free guy trying to get into the box. You're not getting enough goals and assists. So potentially by using that double pivot, which they've done since they've started playing Seiki, although it's for a different reason, that, that double pivot allows you to bring Paxton back into a deeper eight position, which probably is more dialed into the way he really plays that box to box play. You're not asking him to be a six back there. He's still an eight, but it's just a deeper spot. Right. What it does is it rotates the other eight, the free eight, into more of a natural tennis type position. It frees him up even more. It allows him to get higher position and get into the box even more. When they're using Siki and Jesus, they're almost taking turns like slashing into the box from that position, almost like a double off striker if you want in a way to think of it that way. you know, I do wonder if that might not be the way forward because whether it's Siki or whether it's Lejet or whether this winner, that's now when you go get a real 10 or something. You know, I mean, not a 10, you know what I mean. So that ability to play that double deep underneath, it also takes a little bit of a burden away from the Pier six, uh, Surio or, or Facundo, you know, by having Paxton back there to help out because he is a good defending eight, you know. So it, it may line up better for this team to play that way going forward. It'll be fascinating to see whether – when Siki is now is dropped eventually because Legette's back and Legette makes a lot of money and Siki doesn't, you know whether they shift that formation back or they stick with it this way because it seems to be working fairly well. In my opinion,
1: yeah. Well, with the draw, Dallas uh, continues to uh, hold on to and love fourth place on twenty-two points, now behind St. Louis, Seattle, and LAFC, respectively. Uh, Houston finds themselves right on the south side of the breaking line. Austin somehow has snuck into ninth place. Um, did they win the other day or something? Did something happen to Austin? I guess they did, because now they're in in—they're in the playoffs on the uh, play-in game. So uh, that's how that played out. So now Buzz come up. They got to make a road trip out to Cali, Northern Cali, to go hang out with their old coach. Lucci Gonzalez, and yeah. uh, and he, uh, you know, I wonder because St. Louis, by the or San Jose, it, did I say they were going to St. Louis or did I say they were going to San Jose? I'm, you said San Jose, I think. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I, like I said, I ran into Dan <laughs> at a very, very uh, fast rate of speed, and I may have gotten a concussion. They're going to San Jose, who are in fifth place. They are uh, four points behind Dallas on the same number of games, and I'm sure Lucci is going to have his dudes fired up for this one.
0: Yeah, in a way, these guys are from the same tree, in a sense, because um, while, while Lucci says his two biggest influences are Oscar and Shells um, Hyman, Lucci did come out of the U.S. sort of coaching system. He does go to a lot of national team, you know, trainings. He was with them as an assistant when Nico came here. Remember, he, he sort of replaced him on Bearhalter's staff. So they, these two teams play with a lot of the same um, philosophies and mentalities and instructions, as Nico called them. So, you know, it'll be an interesting case, a little bit of a chess match to look for, uh, which coach might make some small adaptations to take advantage of the other, perhaps, you know, having some familiarity with the way that the team's going to play and operate. So that's something to watch for. On the injury front, however, the news are not great. Giovanna Jesus took part in like a half day today. So they're kind of going to see how he reacts in the next day or two. So there's a potential he might become available. Uh, but even Tuomasi has been really good defensively. And I think that there's and Giovanni has had a couple of bad road games. So I think it's fairly likely you stick with Tuomasi on the road, just in general terms, quite frequently and specifically in this one, because Giovanni will just be coming back. Um Paxton had some time off. They gave him a little time off because he's a little sore. So, again, he's a guy they're going to kind of just see how it goes the next day or two. There's lots of questionables as they'll show up on the uh, list. Martin Paz, however, is a problem because he's not – it's just discomfort and pain apparently, but it's not getting better as fast as they would like. This Coach said this on the conference call today. So, again, they're just going to see how it goes the next day or two. He did not sound optimistic. Coach didn't, that he might get um, Martin Paz back. Mm-hmm. So that's worrying. He sounded slightly worried about how long it's taking. Um, you know, no offense to Jimmy, but I think everybody knows that it would be paused in a heartbeat if he was not in this problem. Um, Sebastian Legette will return to training Monday, so he might make the bench next week. And then Paul Ariola is a little further away. Um, he, he might be able to get back in the mix for Nashville, which I think is in two weeks. Um, or in the middle of the week after that, possibly. So there's a lot of dudes still out or questionable on that list, um, which leads us to, you know, something similar to what you've seen going forward. Really, your only questions are going to be, you know, with your three center backs, which ones play, mm-hmm. you know, and and that's as good, I guess, as any. I, I mean, I really think Tafari should be a lock to play, but, um, you know, we'll kind of see how this coach goes. He seems to want to rotate even when I think sometimes it might not be necessary. Um, Farfan looked fresh still. I think Tuomasi will hold the spot. Uh, I would probably maybe expect, since Martinez had Wednesday off, probably Tafari and Martinez as a center back pairing perhaps. Facundo probably keep a spot, although there's a midweek game, so you could see a rotation there with Cerillo. It's hard to know. If Paxton feels good, it's Paxton, because if Paxton were to be out for some reason – then your midfield is a real problem because then you don't, you have seek and then you have <laughs> what <say> So <laughs> yeah, well you'd end up probably with that double, that double six look that they did the other day when they had both uh um, Facundo and Srio in there together. Mm-hmm. That probably is the adaptation. And, and in fact, the passion is really struggling. You might start with that anyway, you know, and try and kill the game on the road like they do, you know, so that keep an eye on that, that trio. And then the front is obvious. The way Velasco, O'Brien, and Asus are playing, those three will be obvious. So um, really it's just how how does Paxton feel because that affects your midfield pretty dramatically. And then which of the two center backs will you play with, or the, of the three, which one in my mind do you play with Tafari this weekend? I think it's probably Martinez probably in front of Jimmy. It seems like, as much as we all don't love that, that might be what it's going to be for a bit.
1: Uh, in mentioning Martine, it's been a good day for uh, fans of Martine because the club dropped a really awesome video, him talking about how much he's fallen in love with North Texas and how friendly everybody is. And then we also saw that he donated uh, a chunk of dough to El Matador for whatever TIFO project they're working on. And he's really ingratiated himself to the uh, fan base, and that's great to see. It's unfortunate that he's injured. Hopefully, he'll get well soon because – I. I uh howler here or there aside, I think we've all enjoyed his addition to the club.
0: Yeah. My favorite bit on that video was how much. He enjoyed being the man of the match with the cowboy hat. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Waving cool the cowboy. Yeah. That's, that's uh, really
1: cool. So yeah. uh, that's worked out. That's worked out really, really well. Um Okay. So San Jose this weekend, that game Saturday, I think, what is it? 930. Oh
0: man. It's gotta be a game. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah, it's it
1: gonna be, be a
2: 730. Local yeah. Time.
1: Uh, so, uh, and it'll be on the Apple TV doohickey uh, that you either love or hate. Apparently, Mark followell
0: out. on the call. Good old followell on the call. That's all. Yeah, that's that's great. Not the free game, by the way. It's on regular MLS season pass.
1: I listened to the um, local call uh, on the Apple TV thing. It's such a great feature, and I will report back that they have made some significant improvements on the audio quality. It uh, doesn't sound like two guys sitting in a box anymore. Uh, there is some crowd noise piped in. The only sound problem is poor Garrett, who appears to be calling in on a cell phone <laughs> from Siberia. Uh, but uh, I'm sure they can work on that. Um, and uh, and uh, so I, I was pleased to hear the difference. It's fun listening to those guys uh, instead of the national, t- the national thing. I, I love that feature. Apple's done a killer job in including that on, on the platform. All right. Uh, let's see. So there's that. Uh, let's see. What else did we want to talk about here today, Buzz? Uh, Justin Che, it says here on the run sheet, written in red crayon, started w- game one for the U-20s. Oh, that's right.
0: Yeah, yeah he they, they played a three-man back line, like a 3-4-3 three, three, that was very modern and very flexible. It was shifting all the time. He was the right center back, um, and Jogo, our, our old friend, was the right back, which is crazy because he's a left back. In the second game, they went back to a 4-3-3, and Jogo went back to the left back. It was obviously just a tactical adaptation. What's amazing, really, though, is that how advanced their tactics were for a U-20 team, which is usually a collection of you know just kids you're bringing together. It really is obvious what a difference it is that all those kids are now pros by that age group and have been pros for a while it's quite impressive really watching the level of tactics um it really is exciting if as a fan of like u.s soccer how good they are you know against ecuador the first game i was like this ecuador team sucks (laughs) <laughs> they had nobody that was anywhere near as good as the F- as the U.S. players. It's Ecuador, man. They got legit dudes on that team. Some of whom yeah. will be pros at the highest level. And the U.S. just rolled them. Well, it should have been five nothing. It was ridiculous how bet- how much better the U.S. was than Ecuador across the board. And that really is. Pretty remarkable. Um, well,
1: the only play that I've seen from the Ecuador game is uh, Jogo's banger. I mean, uh, that goal he scores in the 90th minute to oh. win it is a fantastic goal.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, anybody would be proud to hit that, uh, w- winner or not. And I have not watched the Fiji game, and I've I, although I read that it should have been a, a to zero. Oh a, yeah. Um, um it was even worse, yeah. and they did not, they didn't, I guess they weren't able to convert or they weren't finishing quite as well in that particular game. So the,
0: the other guy we should talk about probably not from that, but from is Dante Sealy, who we talked about, you know, he might be coming back, uh, young PSV is playing in something called the U 21 premier league international cup. I have no idea what it is. And despite the fact that Dante's hardly played at all this year, all of a sudden he's playing all the time. And they actually won the thing, and he scored a goal in their win in the final. So I do wonder if all of a sudden at the death he's not going to rally and save himself at PSV, hmm. but um, or is it too little too late? But it's interesting to see him finally being active and doing some good, because if he does come back, that bodes well that he and Shay looked great. I mean, he looked really fit because we talked about how he hasn't been playing, so he looked fit and played almost the whole game last time and looked pretty solid. So it's it's good for a Dallas fan to think, okay, if those guys do come back. Maybe they actually are going to be able to contribute pretty quickly, which will be a nice addition.
1: Hey, help me make sure that I'm thinking of this correctly. Uh, Pepe is in line for a transfer to PSV, correct? That's what
0: they're talking about. That's the rumor, yeah. All right. So. Um, they just fired their coach, or he quit. Yeah, or something. they fired Van yeah.
1: Nesteroy. And I, this is why I'm bringing this up, which is, is that a red flag that maybe we should all be worried for Ricardo. If that is in fact where he ends up, that that appears to be in a bit of disarray and there's some sort of there. And at least the headlines is player revolt. That doesn't yeah. sound good.
0: Well, it depends on whether they would get a guy that would, you know, that was brought in for that correct, whatever correct system that the org has, that they're getting pieces for that's the thing is the fit, right? It's, it's okay. If they change coaches, if, the next guy, once a player like Pepe, or even more specifically, once Pepe, you know that's that's a huge part of the of what we talk about when you go. Like Brian Reynolds went to Roma, and the coach that was there was like, "Yeah, this is gonna be awesome." And then they fired him, and then you got Jose Mourinho, and that was a horrible, horrible situation for Brian when as soon as, as, as Mourinho walked yeah. the door. So it's not his. Not Brian's fault. The, that wasn't the coach when he went there. You know, and, and Pepe was first place. Place he went to was a team that didn't provide service to a striker. Pepe's not a pick-it-up-at-midfield-and-dribbles-50-yards guy. He's got a serve-it-to-him guy. So it's like, you know, he could be the right guy for PSV. The, the nice thing about that situation, I hope, is that he's playing in front of them every week, right? They're seeing him up close and personal. So you hope they really know what they're doing when they come for him. That's a great club, man. That would be really hard to turn down, PSV.
1: Well, unless they end up hiring the wrong guy and yeah, it turns exactly. into a bad. I mean, that's yeah. the reason why I'm worried for him, is you know, you don't want it to turn into a Brian Reynolds situation or, uh, for that matter, a Weston McKinney situation, you know? Yeah, so, to gonna go. uh, yeah well, I, who knows? But Weston really got uh, in, a, bad, a bad deal in the Leeds thing situation. I'm, I'm not sure he necessarily helped himself with a lot of his performances, but that aside, he did get kind of a, a screw job with the Jesse Marsh situation. So I just yeah. happen to notice that. That, and by the way Dan would you ever imagine rude van nistelrooy as a dick coach <laughs> I mean you know I never every, took him as that kind of guy
2: I um, mean yeah, I guess every great player has to have a bit of a ruthless streak but yeah it was I mean he was always portrayed as as the nice the nice guy the, the methodical guy and I don't know it, it, it I mean the whole thing seemed very abrupt today and you know, they've just gone through two club legends. Had Van Bommel now. Oh, that's right. got Gone through Van Nistelrooy. You know, Gotta got wonder how much of it is kind of... oh, oh who in, in that club? Because that club's owned by Phillips. That club has never been owned by anyone else. So it's not like ownership change or crappy owners that are going to be gone in a week. It's, you know... An enormous brand and a group of players and and stuff.
0: And if you would have asked me up front, I would have said that's a perfect kind of guy to coach Pepe. Just like if you told me Lewandowski was going to be a coach, I'd be like, great. Oh, you know, Van one Nistere. of the
2: best poachers yeah. of the late '90s, early 2000s, hundred yeah. percent.
1: Yeah, for sure yeah well okay we'll keep an eye on that as the uh as the transfer window so when is it the window opens july 5th buzz yeah yeah so what do you do you have any sense that dallas is actively pursuing oh yeah things
0: yeah yeah the stuff i hear behind the scenes is that they are definitely actively trying to make moves um, I still get the feeling that basically it's probably going to be one big one because I I'm not counting really like a Che or a Ceeley coming back is like that's not what I mean by a move. I mean going out and getting a guy. I think they can get one guy at a at a high price at like a Tam kind of price, like you know in around the DP level, mm-hmm. slightly above the DP level. I think right now you can do one. You have to clear a more salary to do more than that. I I think um, is the impression I'm getting from various people I talk to. So. For me, that guy is still a left center back, um, you know, prime hmm. of career guy. That's right now in terms of getting up to a higher level. But I, I would love to hear what you guys think.
1: Dan, you go first,
0: please.
2: Um, yeah, I, mean, it's, I, I don't think the, the needs have evolved too much from the off offseason. Um, obviously, the uh, center back situation seems a little more uh, urgent maybe than, than, uh, than we thought. Uh, we're seeing uh, Siki step up a lot with the first team. So is another rate and a massive need if they are going to play a double pivot, how much, uh, you know, in that, uh, three, two, four, two, three, one, um, you know, then, then how much of a need does a six really become? Um, you know, is it a case of you can deal with Farku's passing and Edwin's, uh, defensive work or, um, you know, how much do you then need to rely on on a singular player to, to handle that? Um, you know, it's funny. I would,
1: uh, in theory, I think I agree with both of you that center back is probably it, but there's a big part of me that believes that they are still missing something in midfield. And um, I know they've dumped a lot of money in midfield with Legette in particular, And I don't know if the lack of production is a byproduct of the system, or if it's uh, the players, or maybe a combination of both. Um, but there's a part of me that thinks, man, if they could just go get themselves a real baller in midfield to replace and to really take over and be a little bit more and, and add some creativity that I think they're missing in that position somewhere in that uh, midfield, I think that would help a ton. But whether that comes in the form of a you know a, just an absolute... A uh, uh, pass spraying ball winning uh, six, or if it's somebody a little bit more attack minded, I think it just comes down to who's available out on the market and how much money they're willing to spend. But that's that's kind of where I land on it.
2: I don't know how much of the the tactical aspect comes down to the Jets' performance. Obviously, we know there's a lot going on in his personal life. Um, you know, you think Siki uh, put in uh, assists in consecutive games. Yes, he's playing more of as, as a 10 and it's kind of pushing Paxton back, but Paxton and Legette's, uh sorry. Yeah, Paxton and Lejeurs, uh way of playing was kind of a give and go. Whoever's you know, in the better position goes forward, whoever isn't sits back and more often than not that was Paxton that was kind of making the tracks back, uh leaving Lejeur closer up front and you know, he just wasn't wasn't really producing the numbers. He wasn't Mm-mm. uh you know, his his final third delivery wasn't really there and I think we've we've just seen a couple of games where Siki from maybe more of a defined version of that role has been able to produce a couple of nice assists out of
0: really not a whole lot. Peter I don't disagree with you about uh, your assessment of the midfield. Uh, Some of the things I say about uh, the need is what I think how much I think they'll be flexible how much flexibility they'll have and how much money they have I yeah. think you can go I think you can do a Tam level left center back at a price point between like seven eight nine hundred thousand kind of where Martinez is you know and fit that into your cap you know as it currently stands whereas the player kind of player you're talking about which I don't disagree with they, they have a need for that mm-hmm. those players are much more expensive and when you get to this next winner, you know then you're going to get into questions like, does someone come in for Jesus? Do you keep uh Jimenez here when you have probably his whole cap hit next year? I assume, and he's on a million two, you know, total. Um, yeah. right, so that's going to be a hit. I mean, can he do the Jesus job if Jesus goes? You know, can I ain't seen uh, much
1: from that cat yet, so. right?
0: So Martinez possibly coming off the cap, Facundo possibly coming off the cap, but. You know, maybe you need to keep O'Brien at that point because of the value you're getting from him. I'm just saying that like the midfield forward conversation gets really tricky pr- potentially this winter. Whereas I think you can get a prime of career center back. There are more of them available. The market in general is a broader market this summer than it is in the winter. You know, but there's also the dilemma of what you have, and so I don't think they have enough to get the kind of player you're talking about now. But they do have enough to get, I think get a center back now and you have to leave the rest for later. Hopefully you're laying the ground of conversations though. Hopefully you know come January or even December you know you're going to have guys a guy lined up that you're like hey we've been talking to this guy for six months
2: mm-hmm. you know
0: maybe it's a guy that's out of contract so you can have those conversations now or maybe it's an agent that you're laying the ground work with for a potential buy at a price you can afford. Those are much more complicated questions than can I go out and get one center back right now I think because I think you can. Well, I one thing to uh,
1: keep in the back of everybody's mind is we're we're on the tail end of feel good times with the hunts because they made a, an absolute ass load of money off the Peppy sale and that was the driver that allowed them to do a whole bunch of stuff that we had never seen them before. But the reality is is that since that sale they ain't sold anybody. And the fact that Justin Che didn't go for a pretty penny probably has come as a bit of a surprise or maybe a disappointment. And it won't surprise me to see this thing kind of shift back towards the pre-Peppy uh, manner of operation, um, yeah. Uh, until they start, until they make the next sale, t- because that's just how I think Clark Hunt runs things, right? He's just gonna, he, you know, if, if he's got a pile of cash to spend because he just made a lot of money off a of kid, he's gonna do it. But until he gets that next pile of cash, when that fir- when that pile of cash goes away, until they can replenish it, it's they're not gonna start spending their own money. I just don't think they're gonna yeah. do it.
0: Well, let's look at the 2003 class is Pepe's class. So you've sold him already. And Jogo, you, you didn't get and he left. But that's also Che and Dante Sealy, which by the way, probably will go down as the greatest class in this club's history. Both those guys potentially could have sold and did not. So still is possibly true for them. That class also has Colin Smith, um, which is of lesser value, but still value. But then once you move past those couple of guys, you 2004, remember, is a class I said, was way down. It's just Antonio Carrera and that's it. There's nobody else from that class. And then 05, you get into your Pickerings, who they let go, which is fine. But Tariq Scott and Nolan Norris were signed, right? So those are your next two, but they're still, they're not really into the mix yet where you can showcase them and potentially sell them. Tariq Scott, obviously, the injury maybe cost him this season in those terms. you know. And then past that, you're getting really young kids. That's where you get into Matthew Corcoran, who they let leave to Birmingham, and Alejandro Urza, who they've just signed. So there's a couple of kids in the Academy that are worth signing still that are in those age groups. But like, you know, beyond what's already gone, Tanner Peppy, you know, there really isn't anything left other than Dante or Che or maybe Antonio Carrera. You know, that, those are really the only guys right now you have that hmm. might have value to sell. So you might be looking at a window where it's almost by choice that you have to kind of just keep some guys for a little while. I'm not totally averse to that. I'm not averse to keeping guys, you know, because I think they sold too many. Frankly, I really wish Tanner would have been here still. It's hard to block his way, but I think he's a piece that would have been better here for this team than it was getting rid of him. You know, that
1: dude's living the life, Buzz. I know he, he I know. won that deal. Yeah, he did. He did.
0: I mean, maybe the missing piece is Chris Kappas, who should have been here. Can the league yeah. screwed mlFC Dallas? So maybe that's, you know.
1: Well, I I think the point to all of this is is just to kind of set expectations for the fans, which is don't assume everything is is all, you know, the way that the hunts operated post Pepe is now the new normal. Right. It's (laughs) that they got to they got to replenish. Uh, and refill the cupboard of cash before they're going to start going out and spending nine million dollars on a guy like Velasco. Well,
0: they will get a couple of decent pieces if Pepe moves again, if, if he's transferred, if Reynolds is transferred again, or if Richards is transferred again. All three of those guys will get you a trickle down. You're not going to get 20. But you know, you might get a couple mil off of some of them if they are transferred for a nice chunk. Will they get you know? anything? Or,
1: yeah, no. If uh-uh.
2: Reggie gets paid for.
0: Or yeah, Reggie, Reggie. Or, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think some of that money's come in, but you can't certainly count on what hasn't. You know, I never can get a straight answer from anybody about that.
1: Oh, Kit Talk <laughs> break. Kit Talk break. Emergency <laughs> break. Kit Talk break. Bye, Steve. Um,. Dan, have you seen the uh, promo video, speaking of Reggie and uh, the club he plays for, Boa Vista? Boa Boa Vista. Uh, Did you see the jersey reveal for their, I guess it's some sort of anniversary thing? Did you see it? I did not. So they've got a new all, sorry Buzz, all black kit that is a throwback. And the reason why I'm interested in your perspective is is they've gone with the the open collar that is kept together with the strings, you know, like okay, the yeah, cross, the, the cross things. And I'm wondering where you where you land on that type of I don't know what that is called. Um, it's more like a hockey sweater kind of design. Yeah, lace, where up. You, yep. yeah, lace up. That's the way. Thank you. Uh, it, but it's like a fixed lace up collar. And I'm wondering where you land on the lace up collar lace up soccer collar
2: shirt. I think they look classy as as anything Uh, I actually like obviously you know in soccer you can't use a real lace anymore right I don't know why but um, I actually like the way they've done it. it it still looks like it laces up it doesn't You know, look like those ones where some teams have done where it just looks like, here's a strip of fabric, and this looks fake.
1: I really like the shirt, don't get me wrong. I just wonder, I've never played or run around in a shirt with that kind of lace-up, and that looks really itchy and distracting to me.
2: Well, I mean, it's got, who has it, actually? I need to find a picture of someone who's not got an undershirt on.
0: Yeah. My favorite uh, Manchester kid of all time, Peter, is the lace-up sharp jersey when the, in the Eric Cantona era. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not a Man U fan, but that's a great jersey. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, that yeah. is a that is a that is. Some a people hate a nice
0: collar. I, I like a collar. I mean, I like all, all flavors. I like the collar yeah. just as much as I like a no collar, but the, the lace-ups are cool, man.
2: Yeah, uh, on that Boa Vista jersey, it, it, has a, it looks like it's got a strip of fabric behind it. So I mean, okay. It,
1: it well, be maybe like they'll sell of enough shit. of them. They can pay off the rest of the money they owe us <laughs> for Reggie Cannon. How about that?
2: I'm just amazed that Reggie's still allowed to play for him. Uh, Uh, You know, you you would have thought this would have been like a uh, port of arbitration for sport thing, and and Reggie's not allowed to play until that money is in. Maybe the club also doesn't
0: want to do that to Reggie. Who knows? Uh, All
2: right. Sorry, I distracted us. Uh, Emergency
1: kit talk session over. Where were we? I forgot. What were we talking about?
0: We were talking about potential sales, sales. Of guys oh, that might yeah. trickle down some money. You know, Pepe yeah. or Richards or yeah, huh. or Reggie for that matter. You know, if he were sold on, they, they get some money from him. Uh, according to Google, his contract runs through this same time in twenty twenty five, so he's not going anywhere. Okay, Ten two more years with them, basically.
1: Well, we uh, will see as the as you said, the window opens on the fifth. And then we'll see what happens in, after the season in terms of you know shedding players and bringing new players in. I'm just that's my that's that was a kind of a thought I had the other day yeah. about where do they sit on what they're willing to spend. Man, and it can his, be a
0: volatile winner, honestly. It depends a lot on Jesus, you know, how how much he wants to be here or not. You know, because if, if he's in the conversation for you know, leading the league and scoring again and being an MVP, you know, if he's in that level of conversation for a second straight year, people are really going to start to dial in on him and come for him. You know, my opinion, you know, and then eventually someone will bring in a number, you know, it's probably not gonna be Napoli because usually that came out one really early. But, um, you know, if, if you can come in with enough money, the puns will depart with him. Man.
1: I, you know, when I think about Jesus playing in Europe, I just, I can't, I can't put it in my head what i think his level is over there i mean i don't think he's a Premier league level player well, I, not today no i i know and i know he's still young
0: well, i he just bottom of Premier League. I'm looking at the middle I mean, i'm not talking about the big mm, six but i don't know man i i just oh well, i do do you yeah i'm not, I'm not talking about walking in starting for manchester united but you know no like, no no, what, no. but what, i mean listen, is, I, what, just, I watch what he, these games with these relegation teams and those teams are terrible Okay, is he Some gonna play? Them. Would he start for Palace? Uh, yeah, they got they only got one striker, as far as I know. You know, yeah. they could probably use an off guy. You know, it's, it's, the fit's got to be right. But I, I'm not even. I'm talent. just.
1: I'm just talking about levels, I'm not necessarily specifically those rosters. I'm just saying, like, I just don't really have a handle on where Jesus is.
0: Well, look at it this Quality way. Is. How much better do you think Almiron is than Jesus? And Almiron is a perfectly legitimate big time player in the. See, program. I, I,
1: okay, and and don't, please, people don't throw tomatoes at me. I think Almiron is a significant step up from oh, Jesus. You? Yeah, I really do.
0: Oh, I wouldn't have said significant. I would have said a little better, but I,
1: I, I think he's a full letter grade better than Jesus. Wow, do you? Yeah, I mean,
0: look, I'm a big mm.
1: Jesus Ferreira fan, but I, I I'm still. He scored a lot of goals, but I'm still confused as to where he fits uh, on a lot of teams, and um, I don't know. And his finishing isn't always as nice as I want to see him do it. And plus, Elmiron plays a different position, right? He plays wide, so it's well, hard I'd, to compare Well, I
0: would tell team. you, I think, uh, that Jesus is actually a phenomenal finisher and that you don't give him enough credit. His, his finish, his shots on goals to goal rate is like three to one. Okay. Three shots on goals and it's a goal. You know, I mean, that's remarkable. He doesn't blast him over. The, he doesn't blast twenty over the top. He doesn't take a high number of shots. But when he does, they're going in.
1: Yeah. Okay. All right. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I still think Almiron is a. No, I, level I think
0: Almiron's better. I just don't know that he's you know massively better. You know. Well, maybe I mean, Almiron is also twenty nine. And yeah, Jesus well, is 20. The, yes. And that's true.
1: And that may be the difference is just the fact that Almiron is just a different, you know, a more mature, more experienced player and et cetera, et cetera. So maybe that's not a very good. I compare, mean,
0: if so. Jesus is going to go, the key for me is that take an intermediate step. Remember that you are 20 going on 21. You're not 29. You know what I mean? One more step in between is fine. You know, don't go to Juventus, go to, you know, Atlético Madrid or go to. You know, Sevilla. Somebody okay. where you can sh- play and showcase and take that next All right.
1: Where uh Brendan Aronson, Jesus Ferrera. Uh, right this minute,
0: Jesus Ferrer is a better player than hmm. Brendan Manson. All right, but
1: I would I would say I see them uh, in somewhat equal terms, and and yeah, Brendan yeah, struggles in the Premier League. I think would be similar to what I would anticipate seeing Jesus have, even if he's playing for a mid table team. Yeah,
0: that might depend on the team. I think you know Brendan will look oh, better. I, mean, I think yeah, he's is better than Brendan, with us. You know?
2: they'd probably have pretty similar struggles, right? Because Jesus is not like the classic nine like you necessarily want. He's the tweener. Right, uh, Brandon Harrison's more of that kind of ten who just gets shoved out on the wing because nobody, nobody plays the with a ten, right? <laughs> Which for Jesus he can't play ten because there's no ten. He's not necessarily the guy. Like you mentioned, Palace, he's not getting past Eduard. He's not getting past Au for for that one spot as a striker. So, yeah. so where do you kind of put him then? Well, that's yeah. the thing. Is
0: like if you want to tell me that like he doesn't fit the way most teams play in the really, league, that, that I could totally buy. He needs to be in a system that either A uses a false nine or B uses a two striker set, and then he could be that off striker. You know, it's, I, I would buy that the Premier League isn't a good fit in terms of style, more that I would like, he's not perfectly capable oh, of sure. it. I, mean, I think and that's that's a yeah. running trend
2: of Americans. You think about Breck Shea went as a winger to a team that played hoofball. Great. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, Jersey Outdoor twice went to teams where even when he, you know, when he first joined them, you'd be you like, that's that's not his play style. That's not going to work out in any way, shape, or form. And sure enough, a couple of bad games and, you know, he gets booed out of the stadium.
0: <laughs> I, I think a, a good place for Jesus would be either one of the biggest teams in Portugal or uh, a team slightly below the top, not in in Spain, but not Madrid or or Barcelona. Yeah. You know, Atletico, Sevilla, um, Villarreal. I mean, I haven't looked at the table. Forgive me if one of those teams is way out of it and I'm just not aware. I'm just speaking of those teams in that second five in Spain, It know, would be a good spot for in my opinion.
1: I'd like to see him in the Dutch league. I think he play on a really yeah. one. if he got on a one of the better Dutch teams, I think that would be good for him. Yeah. Um yeah. I, I, I do think however,
0: like, better than Bruges though. Like if if he get if people start calling from like that, I don't know, that's not good enough. I think mm-hmm. you could stay here and score 20 again and do yourself better than you would go into someone like Bruce.
1: well so i that that's an interesting part of this conversation which is is it so bad if he stays and becomes a lifer at dallas i mean he's making he's making well i mean you know what i'm saying i mean if his next big deal is to stay here in dallas and not yeah. go to europe he's making look he is making ridiculously good money right and I don't know if he moves to Europe, if that, you know, if that means he instantly makes a huge jump in salary, especially when you start taking taxes and stuff (laughs) into consideration. Right. So it's a lifestyle thing too. And I, and I don't know Jesus at all. So I don't know what his dreams and goals are either.
0: Well, they have him under contract through 2025 and then a 2026 option. So we're probably putting the car before the horse a little bit in terms of like, you know, he definitely was invested in being here. But, you know, if you're going to twice back-to-back be in the conversations of leading the leagues and scoring and being an MVP-type player, he wasn't, but he's in those combos, and you're 20 years old, there's a point at which somebody comes in with a big chunk of money, and the Hunts may not be able to say no. Is he still really only 20? Yeah. This year, he won't be eligible for the the 20 under 21 list, but last year he was, you know, so he's— I have to actually look and see specifically what, but I think, you know, he's 20 going on 21. Um, it, it, It seems like it's been a lot longer than that. No, I lied. He's actually 22 now. Okay. So last year he was eligible because he turned 21 in that season this year. He's turning, he turned 22 in December. So, you know, he's 22 all this year. It doesn't change the fact that he still has six or seven years to of top, top play before he'll start to lose it at 29, 30, 31, start to tail off a little bit, but he's got a very, very high soccer IQ, you know? So it may be that like a 22 year old guy that's led the league or in the mix of the league's leading scorers, maybe the kind of gun that comes and gets a check, you know, when you have a guy from Napoli talking about how there are these diamond players in MLS that are way better than that league. And then mentions Jesus Ferrer by name, you know, maybe that's not the right situation or the right guy, but it means there are people out there that have that opinion of him, you know, like we don't hear that kind of conversation about Paxton like we do Jesus. So it just makes us wonder, like, you know, when does that big come call come? You know, it might be at the end of this year if he has 20 goals again.
1: Well, I'm sorry you didn't get to go to training today since uh, the weather was bad at that particular time.
0: Yeah, well, I'm not going to go stand in the rain, you know, because they don't they stop training. They go inside, they go to an indoor facility and then I'm I've driven an hour each way and I'm stuck there doing nothing, you know, so.
1: Maybe I'm soft. I'm sure the FC Dallas Curious fan understands, Buzz.
0: Well, thankfully, they always have these Zoom calls nowadays, so I still get to talk to Coach. That's (laughs) perfectly fine.
1: All right. Uh, Dan, anything else you'd like to chat about today?
2: Nah, just be up from that game. You're a total
1: baller, my friend. And by the way, thank you for the Luton shorts and socks. Much appreciated.
2: My pleasure. Enjoy the orange. (laughs) <laughs> I will. I'll
1: send you. I'll send you naughty photos of me sporting them later on. Yes. Uh, Buzz. Anything else you'd like to throw out there before we shut up shop for the night?
0: Uh, no, not really. Um, I, I I did want to raise the question that we talked about during the show of the four two three one specifically because North Texas has now shifted and has played that for like a couple of games. So it makes me wonder if maybe there's a bigger philosophical shift happening is the one reason why I wanted to talk about it. So I just thought I would mention that, that it's like, it's you know, when, when other groups in the organization start reflecting that potentially, that's always been a shape that Dallas has played up and down their system. But to see that shift at North Texas is slightly more interesting, particularly because they keep using Nolan Norris in midfield as a six or an eight. Oh, really? Yeah, mm. which is... It's related to the fact that they don't know where he's gonna stop growing yet. You know, he's still <laughs> well, he's still young enough that he's still maturing physically. So they don't know how tall he's gonna be or how quick he's gonna end up being. So they're trying him in these other positions. Plus playing in the midfield pushes his um ball play, his you know, he's already really good at with the ball at his feet, but this is even more so, you know, it puts him in a box in terms of being able to pass and regain game read and stuff. So it's really good for him. So I just like seeing it. Well, I mean, you know, if you're gonna try him out
2: somewhere, I mean he's Potentially the best passer on the team as it is. So. Yeah, makes total sense.
1: He looks like a thirteen-year-old in person up close. By the way, I saw him today. I, was, I didn't even. I like. I think. I said. I think that's Nolan, but maybe that's Nolan's little brother. <laughs> <laughs> he was one of the media uh, game coaches today, along with Tariq Scott. And uh...
2: Uh, I, I did have to laugh. He's kind of you know they they uh you know wanted him to go and meet everyone that was playing and then like oh hey uh, what's your name what's your name oh hey Dan. <laughs> like, the, they the Norris clan by the are. way
0: is hysterically obvious when they come to games they're like they're, they're all identical little uh ducklings a little blonde ducklings like five or six of them following around their their parents it's really funny to look to spot
2: oh them. the Nolan family oh
0: they all look exactly the same with that bright blonde hair Slut, that's uh, yeah
2: the soccer targaryens yeah they look like the clones all <laughs> the of them doesn't matter targaryens that's awesome
0: <laughs>
2: that's
1: fantastic yeah. i love that that's they're good. lovely
0: people but you know yeah
1: <clears throat> well uh it was a it was a fun day so uh there you go all right uh nothing else going once going
0: twice well Antonio Carreras with the U20s oh. but don't expect him to play his whole family went down there though they were in the stands they keep getting him on them on tv that's kind of fun but that you is know, fun. He probably won't play cuz he's number the, 2, which is They look
1: really cool. a, well, They. Uh, I have been in the stands when all of them have been sitting together, Antonio, I mean yeah. several years ago when he was still, you know, down in the youth system and his brother Nico yeah. Nico, yeah. and uh and then however many other brothers there are it seems like there's an entire soccer team of them and they just seem like the coolest family and so supportive of each other right? yeah it's, it's fun to see those guys the, uh,
0: the sister plays for the ecnl fc Dallas, and she's like an all-state level player really good player uh the youngest brother is also a keeper uh Juanito. he plays for the u14s i think also a keeper you know so, and whether he's actually got anything or not, it'll depend on how tall he gets since he's a keeper. You know, yeah. if he ends up being 5'10", you know, but both of his brothers are really tall, so you never know. Yeah. Fun family. 3rd read the podcast has been brought to you by Soccer90.com. Shop Soccer90.com for all your soccer gear. I see the Dallas, North Texas Soccer Club, US Men's National Team gear. They got everything you want. All the big clubs in Europe, Jersey Scarves, all the clubs in MLS, Tees. Soccer90 has what you need. Get it all at Soccer90.com. Third Degree is the code, 3rd D-E-G-R-E-E, 20% at checkout, some exclusions apply. All right. Well,
1: thank you, guys. Uh, we will. Uh, I appreciate both of you. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Thank you, Buzz.
0: Thank you for coming and hosting, Peter, even with your concussion.
1: Uh, I, I, uh. <laughs> <Indeed>. <laughs> that's, that's exactly how I feel. Uh, and thank you, FC Dallas Curious fan. We will speak to you next week on another episode of Third Degree, the podcast.
2: Yeah, I've got nothing.
1: Third
2: degree, the third degree near podcast. Third degree, the third degree near podcast. Third degree, the third degree air podcast. Third degree, the third
0: degree near podcast